0: Everyone, <clears throat> um, as you've heard, I am in the middle of an external review, and uh, as I said to the staff the other day, and I'm not sure if I said it to the pastoral team or not. If there's anything I can do for anybody that needs help in any way, <laughs> it's a uh, weekend offer only, people. A um, couple of things to announce. Um, Are we going to have any slides for announcements? Can you want to flash? Uh, How come they're not on the back one? Um, This Friday night we have a special prayer, open prayer time. It's combined Baptist churches. All of the Baptist churches in our local area around us are going to be coming here 7.30 on Friday night for a uh, combined prayer time. And that's 7.30 till about 8.30 an hour, hour and a bit that'll go for. So I commend that to you and invite you to that, to come and pray with us for our church and for the other churches around us. there is a members' meeting in a couple of weeks, June 15th, 1.30 in the afternoon. That's preceded by a luncheon, which is a fundraising luncheon, if you'd like to be part of that. I think the details are either in the bulletin or will be perhaps next week. Uh, I'm not sure of the costs, maybe $10, um, but if you'd like to uh, participate in either that. But I certainly do commend to you our members' meeting, um, where we'll be looking at our church budget for the next financial year, but also looking at Policy 3, and there'll be some other um, issues, obviously, as, uh, coming to that meeting as well and then also there is nothing Um, there's a working bee coming up that's in the bulletin Um, there's a men's breakfast coming up and this is um, available for you at the front there's a teaching document on elders uh, here at Sunnybank uh, because in a couple of weeks on the 15th of June we will be opening um, the call for Um, for members to nominate people to be considered to be elders for joining the pastoral team. So it's preceded by this Sunday and next Sunday as uh, this teaching material. So grab a copy of this and read it through and by all means come and have a chat about it or um, ask questions if it's not clear or anything like that. So they're available on the foyer, grab one on the way out and please be in prayer about that very important decision. Um, Something to share, I just got an email, uh, a text... Um, from my granddaughter. Well, it's from her mother, but, you know, it's... No, I can't find it. Oh, my phone just died. Where's your phone? Who said that? Repent. Pray. My granddaughter, on Friday afternoon, her teacher's been sick all week, and um, back at school, I'm not sure if she went back Friday, but anyway... She's not 100% and Friday afternoon she did the nana and uh, roused on the kids, on my granddaughter included, who apparently had done something wrong. But fancy having a teacher like that. What Eleanor had apparently done is that she, along with several other kids in the class, were playing with Play-Doh and she had taken four different ones of the Play-Doh. Why won't that work? Um, And had mixed them together and the teacher did the crumpet and they're all in trouble and uh, this is not Eleanor's first defense. <laughs> <laughs> kindergarten, educational program is off track already as my daughter would say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree and she's written a note in her own writing and covered it with hearts and crosses, you know, kisses, and uh, it's a letter of apology. She's five years of age. Dear Mrs. Cardium, I am very sorry for wrecking your box of Play-Doh. I won't do it again. And I love you very much. Love from Eleanor. Kiss, kiss, hug, hug. A sinful child who is repenting that's my granddaughter. <laughs> I wanted to share that with you and on a far more serious note, uh, Rhonda's dad is not well. He's been uh, in hospital and he will not leave hospital now. He's on a, a, a declining path. He has emphysema and, you know, on oxygen all the time. I think we've said that before and now it really is just a matter of time. He's had enough. He's sort of given up a fair bit and You might pray for one situation where Rhonda's sister, his daughter Julie, is a nurse and she nurses in the hospital where he is located and she does night duty and that means at night duty she actually actually has to care for him and the doctor and we don't think that's appropriate so we've asked for her to be moved and a small country town there aren't that many options so just pray that that works out in some helpful way for her because we don't want Julie having to be you know, her lingering moments, uh, memory of her father is a man who is um, going through the final stages of life and wrestling with it. So if you could pray for him and that situation, we would certainly appreciate it. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God who listens. You care so much about us. I commit this situation, Lord Rhonda's dad, to you. I do pray that you'll find... A solution that Julie might find herself in a different um, ward different environment and I pray for uh, for Rhonda's dad that he might even in these final stages come to a clear understanding of you and of your love for him of Jesus dying for sinners like him and that he might humble himself repent and ask you for mercy and for forgiveness deliver him Lord from relying on him his own works and his own righteousness and that cast himself upon you. And did, O Lord, for my dad and for all of our loved ones who don't know you yet. And uh, I pray for little Eleanor, that you might help her, along with all of the children in our church, Lord, come to a genuine relationship with you. Give them soft, pliable hearts that can embrace you early in life and that they might follow you all the days of their life. And then, Lord, for us, we pray tonight that you might speak to us, shape us. Because we know we matter to you. We know that you want to use us and invite us to work with you. So teach us and show us how we can do that tonight, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. And everybody said. Uh, We're in the middle of the series on connecting. And you will find there is a Connecting Bible study book for life groups. And uh, that's been available now for three or four weeks, there's about four studies in it and this is the last one in that so there'll be another one coming out. Um, If you haven't been grabbing one of those, it's worth grabbing either for your own self or for uh, a group that you're in so I commend that to you. Um, Pastor David Butterfield did the teaching this morning from this passage and he gave a great message and so that sermon is on the, the web and I encourage you to access that and have a good listen to it. Um, he tells some great illustrations, great stories that illustrate the truths that i 'm going to talk about tonight. Um, this passage, John chapter Four, is certainly a famous one and one that 's worth reading and rereading and rereading, of course, because it 's in the bible it 's god 's word, and many chapters in god 's Word are exactly like that aren 't they The more you read them, the more you find out, the more you discover and i 've been reflecting on this passage uh, for a little while, and I discovered something like Uh, 16 different principles that apply to us as we witness. I'm not giving you those tonight, Um, I'm going to give you three. This passage breaks into about three, chapter 4, verses 1 to 42, the passage that Steph read to us, or the second half she read, uh, breaks into about three parts. There's an introductory part, and so there is a truth that I want to take out of that. There is a middle part, which is the conversation with Jesus and the woman of Samaria. Did you know she's the largest woman in in the Bible? Some area. Uh, <clears throat> all right, let's move on. Just explain it to the people beside you who didn't get it. Conversation with Jesus the middle part and then there are the results that flow out of that. The results in the woman's life, the results in the disciples who are following Jesus and even the results in the village where Saika, where she comes from. And so there are th- one, two, three truths that I want to talk about that come out of those passages and to give some practical application to us. So we didn't read this part in the part of the Bible in our early part of the service but just let me skim over it quickly with you and make my point. Uh, The Pharisees, this is the background, heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although it wasn't Jesus who was doing the baptizing, it was the disciples and when Jesus learned that he said okay it's time to leave. He's basically walking away from a conflict situation and it's time to head north. Verse 4 is significant. Now he had to go through Samaria No, he didn't. It doesn't mean he had to go through Samaria because there was no other way to go. Doesn't mean that. Because there were two ways to Samaria. From Judea down in the south to Galilee in the north and Samaria is in the middle. The Jews despised the Samaritans. As far as the Jewish people were concerned, the Samaritans, for centuries they held this attitude. uh, That they were both biological by natural descent but also by religious belief half-breeds. They were to be rejected, they would be looked down upon, they were considered to be unclean, they were despised. And so what the Jewish people had done is that they had developed this other route, this other uh, highway that you would, you want to go from Judea to, in the north or vice versa, from north to south, you would avoid Samaria by simply crossing the Jordan River, heading north on the other side of the river and then crossing it again west into Galilee. That's the most common route, it's a longer route, but it's not the way Jesus went. He was already near the Jordan if not at the Jordan so all he had to do was step across there and head north but he didn't he headed back into Judea and then headed north up through the hearts of Samaria why because he had to go through Samaria not geographically uh, but divinely appointed there was something for him to do and we know what it is it's to meet this woman at this well and to have this conversation with her and have an impact through her into that very village. This is the point, that God seeks people who aren't seeking Him and He sets up divine appointments. That's the first point that I want you to get. God is seeking people who aren't seeking Him and He's setting up divine appointments for these sorts of encounters. God is seeking people in your life were not interested in him and he wants to use you and others as salt and light in the community in relationships with them in order to have conversations with them to have an influence God seeks people who aren't seeking him and he sets up these divine appointments like he did here with Jesus Sychar is the village where she comes from it's about halfway from Jerusalem to Galilee it's about the middle it's near Mount Gerizim significant mountain for the Samaritans it was holy to them And this passage tells us it's also where Jacob's well was. Jacob's well is about 700, 800 metres away from the village. It's a sizable distance, which is the distance she will, in the story, cover. And so will the people of the village to come to Jesus. Jesus, in heading north, has uh, travelled about 40 miles, about, what's that, 70k, 80k, something like that. And he must have travelled all the day before and he's halfway into the next day because it's noontime. Nobody goes to the well at the middle of the day. The women go to the well, that was a woman's job. And they would go as a group, they would talk on the way to the well, they would have a little gathering when they were there and they'd be collecting their water and then they would travel back and they would do it early in the morning or they would do it late in the afternoon, avoiding the heat of the day. This lady came in the middle of the day. (coughs) Why? Well, we're not told, but it seems very likely. She came then because she was avoiding them because they didn't like her because she was a, a moral failure. This passage tells us that she'd been married five times and that she's now living with a person who is not her husband. And the chances are pretty high that when her marriage failed five times, it's also probably got some occasions of adultery being involved in it. She had, she's a, a broken woman. Her life is a mess, and God was after her. God cared about her. i don 't think she was after God. she wasn't seeking him. she wouldn't ask Jesus she didn't ask Jesus any spiritual questions. She was just simply going about her normal routine, her daily life. She went to get some water. Um, we don't know certainly her spiritual heart, but it doesn't seem that she was seeking God. She may have even have had a fair bit of guilt and issues because of her failed marriages and because of her moral indiscretions at this point of doing that which was very socially unacceptable. I reckon she's more likely to be keeping her distance from God rather than chasing God, just like Adam, just like Eve. When the woman stuffed it up in the garden, Adam had to go and hide. Oh yeah, he messed up too. That's a normal response, isn't it? When we sin, we flee from God. Well, that's probably what she's doing. But here is Jesus who has to go through Samaria, divine compulsion. If you read through the book of John, you will find at least a dozen times from memory where Jesus says, what I see my father doing is what I do. What I hear my father saying is what I say. Jesus walked in tune, in step, in sync with what God was doing. That's the purpose, mission of our church. Uh, To work with God in transforming people into passionate followers of Jesus. To work with God, to be observing and learning and listening. Lord, what are you doing in this situation? How can I join you in it? This is a divine appointment. This is the first point and I'm going to spend most of my time on it probably. This divine appointment is is an arrangement, an appointment, an encounter that is arranged by God to demonstrate or to reveal his reality, to reveal his kingdom, to reveal his love to this particular person. There are many of them in the Bible, and a dramatic one is in Acts chapter 8, with this guy, a deacon, a preacher, who's named Philip. And Philip is actually up in Samaria, and he's preaching. And people are coming to faith by the hundreds. It's very successful. And in the midst of this success, the Holy Spirit says to Philip, I want you to leave this, and I want you to go south, and I want you to wait on the road that goes from Jerusalem down to... Gaza leave this successful ministry and go wait and he does a prompting from the spirit listening to what the Lord wants ensure and obeying what God is asking us to do seems strange but he did it and in the process of doing it he was there and he was there for a while before it became very clear why he was there and before very long the chariot comes along and you know the story it's the Ethiopian treasurer and Philip joins with him, they have a gospel conversation, they shares the gospel, the guy accepts Jesus, it's rather dramatic, gets baptised on the same trip and he goes on his way and then Philip heads north again. A divine encounter, a divine appointment. God does those all the time. And he wants to do them with you and through you as well. He certainly did it here with Jesus. And if you study the life of Jesus, it happens all the time. In all four gospels, look at just the gospel of John. In John chapter 1... It's Jesus encounters Andrew and Philip and Peter and Nathaniel and has conversations with them about the kingdom of God. John chapter 3, it's Nicodemus, an interview with a Pharisee. John chapter 4, it's this woman of Samaria. John chapter 5, it's the guy at a pool in Siloam. Jesus walks in and the pool is crowded and he picks him out, asks him a question Do you want to be well? He comes up with a reason why he isn't well and Jesus just simply says, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Divine encounter, directed by the Father, directed his son, heal him. And Jesus turns around and walks out. Well, what about all the rest? Well, it wasn't their time. It's not what the Father wanted. John chapter 6, it's Greek seekers Jesus has an encounter with. John chapter 8, it's the woman caught in adultery. John chapter 9, it's the blind man, born blind from birth, over 40 years of age. Jesus is always having these encounters with people and if you study his conversations with people he more often than not simply asks them questions questions that provoke curiosity questions that help them to consider that's what he does with this lady asks questions did it with Martha did it with Zacchaeus did it with a rich young ruler he even has a divine encounter with a dying thief on Good Friday I always do what I see the Father doing. I always say what I hear the Father saying, in tune, in step, in sync, sink. And that's the key for us, I think, to these divine encounters. It's very simple, but it's crucial. The command of Jesus to the early disciples as they were fishing, he said, leave that, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's the key, follow me develop your relationship with the Lord Jesus and as you follow Him, He will make you into a fisher of men. This is not something we have to take on and do ourselves and to manufacture and to orchestrate. It's in loving and knowing Him and following Him, He will arrange the divine appointments. So that's the first point. God is seeking people who aren't seeking Him and He will be arranging divine appointments and He wants you to be involved and available for that process. Number two, coming out of this conversation with Jesus and the woman, I picked verse 10 just to sort of summarize the whole thing. Um, She's surprised that he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan and he's a man and she's a woman and she's really shocked that he's sort of engaging with her socially and how can you ask me for a drink, this is just not done. And he says, if you knew the gift of God, If you knew what God was like, if you knew what gift God had available to you, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, and if you knew who I was, Jesus said, then you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. That's one of the keys. The point is Jesus offers the gift of living water, salvation, to all sorts of people. Jesus wants us, him through us... To be offering the gift of salvation to all sorts of people. It's a gift. It's not something you can earn. That's what my dad, Rhonda's dad, have to yet appreciate and to understand. It's not by our efforts, it's by understanding our failures, his incredible gift, and simply putting out our hands and saying, Lord, can I have that, please? I receive that. It's as simple as that. If you knew the gift of God, who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. That's what you have to do. You have to ask. You have to receive. And that's all we have to tell people. You have to ask. You can ask in all sorts of ways. There's no magic words. Just has to be sincere. I love what David shared this morning about a guy in the army and the way he accepted Jesus. What did he say? Jesus, if you're real and you are who they say you are, I'll give you a go. Simple. Jesus offers the gift of living water to all sorts of people. No one is excluded. Everyone is included. I did just a contrast. In this encounter in John chapter 4 and the previous one in John chapter 3 between Nicodemus and this woman, and when you contrast them, you see this in- wonderful truth that everybody is included. You think about the differences. Nicodemus is Jewish; she's Samaritan. He's a man; she's a woman. He's educated; she probably isn't. Women weren't educated in those days. Um, he was orthodox in his belief, being Jewish. She was not orthodox. She was she had false errors. She had theological problems and issues. He was morally upright. She was in a moral failure. He was an influential political leader, she was a nobody, just an ordinary citizen and almost bottom of the pile. He went to Jesus with questions, she had no idea who he was and wasn't even interested. Um, He came at night, she came in the middle of the day at noon. He responds slowly and rationally to what Jesus says to him, she responds quickly and emotionally. Incredible contrast and Jesus loves them both. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. He came, no one is excluded. The people in your life where God has placed you in networks of social relationship, he is chasing them and he wants to use you. If anybody could be excluded, maybe it's this lady. She was a Samaritan, she was a woman and she was probably immoral. Three strikes. And yet God loved and sought her There's nothing you can do, nothing you can do that can drive him away from him pursuing you. There is the unforgivable sin, that's it. And if you're at all interested in God or Jesus, you haven't committed it, so don't worry about it. I once was counselling a lady, chatting with her in a previous church in another lifetime and she was on the edge of coming to faith in the Lord Jesus and I kept probing and pushing and answering her questions and one day I just simply said to her, was sort of going through. She felt she was too sinful, that God couldn't forgive her. So I thought, what's the worst sin? I don't know, they're all pretty bad. So I thought, murder. So I said, look, you haven't murdered anybody, have you? Well, she just erupted. Tears flowed. And as far as she was concerned, that's what she had done. She had murdered somebody. She had had an abortion when she was a teenager. And she had never forgiven herself. And she thought God could never forgive me. So I had the great joy and privilege of saying to her, there is no sin that is unforgivable. Jesus died on the cross for all sin. Even that one. So she came to faith. I baptised her. Bumped into her years later. um, And I'm not sure how spiritually she's travelling right now. But she certainly came to a genuine experience of receiving God's forgiveness. And as Jesus says in this verse, verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given it to you. He would have given you living water. To receive this gift, you have to know what it is, salvation. You have to know who Jesus is and what he has done and you have to ask for it. See, it's all about a personal relationship and Christianity is not a leap in the dark. Christianity is all about... um, a considered response to somebody who is truthful and reliable and as you get to know more about him then it becomes very easy to trust him because of his character so two things number one God is seeking people who aren't seeking him and he wants to set up divine appointments he wants to use you through that process number two Jesus offers the gift of living water to all sorts of people no one is excluded and that includes you and that includes all of your acquaintances, and it includes the people you don't like. It includes the people who irritate you, or the nerdy people, or the socially outcast people. They're all included. And just like Jesus crossed these, these cultural social barriers, maybe sometimes God might challenge you. Like in the story Pastor David shared this morning, he might challenge you to cross a socially barrier, and you might feel very uncomfortable, the challenge becomes for us if you follow the Lord Jesus simply to say yes Lord I'll do what you want me to do as uncomfortable as I am he wants to use you in this story when Jesus reveals verse 26 that he is the Messiah she strangely leaves the water pot and goes straight back to the village that 800 meters trip back as David pointed out this morning why'd she leave the water pot the other disciples had come back was it for them so that they could get a drink Or was it because that something had happened inside of her and she suddenly realised that, I get it. It's not about the physical water, it's about the spiritual water. It's the living water, this new relationship with God. And she was so excited by it, she went off straight away. She forgot why she had come, basically, and left the water pot. And when she comes back, she goes to the village and people who may have formerly rejected her, she goes to them and she invites them, come and see this man who has told me, my life story they know her life story come and see him he can't be the Christ can he she's clever she just asks a question she doesn't declare or proclaim that he is the Christ she just raises the curiosity I wonder if he could be check it out and they come they meet Jesus Jesus stays within Samaria in that village for two days it's quite unique I'm not aware that he did that anywhere else And the more they talk with him they eventually come to faith and in fact it says in verse 39 many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of what she had said, her testimony. When the Samaritans came to him they urged him to stay with them two days and because of his words many more became believers. And in fact they said to the woman we no longer believe just because of what you said but now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. God uses both the testimony of the woman, our story as well, and also the words of Jesus, the words of the Bible. God will use both to bring people to faith in himself. So what can I do? What's the point? Third point. God uses people who are excited about Jesus and who are willing to invite others to check him out. Simple as that. God uses people who are excited about Jesus and who are willing to invite others To check him out. So, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, if you're going to connect with others and help them discover this God who loves us and died for us and who cares for us, what do you need to do? Fall in love with Jesus. Love him. Learn all you can about him. Um, When others see the change in you, then, like those Samaritan village people, they must have seen, seen, observed some change in her, they likewise will respond. Like her, ask them questions. Invite them to come to church, to Christ, to the Bible study, to a social event. Invite them. I've read all these sorts of statistics over the years and I'd be surprised if you weren't familiar with a similar thing. But various surveys across various local churches come with these sorts of results. How do people come to faith in Christ? One to three percent just walk in the door, find themselves in a church, no previous contact, they just turn up. Five percent? come through a church ministry, church program or out of some special need. 10 to 15% varies, up or down. They're attracted by the pastor's message and by his ministry. Yes. 3 to 8% come through some sort of church programmed outreach, letterbox dropping, door knocking, advertising, whatever. Usually it's the lower end of that, 3%. That means about 70% and sometimes more, 70% plus come into church and into a relationship with jesus because they're invited by a friend or a relative there's a connection most people come to faith through other people that's my story i was completely in the dark completely estranged from god and jesus and church had nothing to do with it had zero well had one percent understanding very very little that i knew it's a relationship with a guy in my class year 12 who connects with me there were circumstances going on in my life but it's this relationship with him this connection with him that brings me to faith so i'm one of the 70 percent that's what we can do we also need to remember like jesus teaches the disciples here reaping follows sowing people come to faith And it's usually a journey. There is a process where the seed is planted, where it's watered, where it's nurtured, where it has a chance to grow, and then people come to faith. Not many people come to faith instantly like that. It can happen. It does happen, but it's rare. The most common way is through this process of divine encounters and gospel conversations and reading and learning, loving and caring. And Jesus says to the disciples, you need to know that reaping follows sowing. And you also need to focus on, Jesus says, verse 34, focus on doing God's will. Make sure your obedience is up to date to exactly what he wants you to be doing. And then he can use you. Use your testimony, use your conversations. That's what Jesus does. God uses witnesses who are excited about Jesus and who are willing to invite others to come into faith. I read this, I think, very encouraging thing during the week, I want to share it with you and I'll finish with it. There are two types of evangelism in the New Testament and when we talk about evangelism I think sometimes we tend to think this way. This way is where it's um, a person has the gift of evangelism, it's often, it could be very large, doesn't have to be a large crowd but there is a bold proclamation of the Gospel. There is a even an initiation by the person, that they start the conversation and they get to present and give a very clear gospel message. Um, That's one way. The second way is far more common. It's the very simple, a believer in the Lord Jesus who is evangelistic, a person who is simply praying for people, who is watching what's going on in people's lives, who is available To have conversations with people and to talk with them they don't they may not initiate it but they just offer gracious answers it's out of relationship that's the most common way God wants to bring people across your path he wants to work through you in other people's lives he wants you to be as I said an influence salt and light so what can you do Well, you can pray, you can learn, you can do all of those sorts of things. You follow Jesus and then he'll teach you. And I read this, and this is what I'm going to finish with because it's so practical. Mike Frost is a pastor, lecturer, Morling College, New South Wales. Um, And uh, not a close friend of mine, but certainly an acquaintance. If we bumped into each other, we could certainly have a cup of coffee and a chat so we know each other. And he's just written a book, And he's got a real heart for evangelism. He's one of Australia's best communicators and certainly a very strong evangelist. And he came up with his acrostic. He was teaching in his local church. And he came up with his acrostic for normal believers, ordinary people. How can I connect with others and have the opportunity to share truth with them? How do I do that? And he came up with the word bells, B-E-L-L-S. And so I'm going to share this with you and then... Um, conclude to connect with others and to get them to come to faith in the Lord Jesus bells B stands for bless bless people bless people verbally and bless people by deed be thankful be appreciative encourage use the phrase if you like God bless you speak or it's all do things do acts of kindness or give gifts And the challenge is, now this is his challenge that's worth listening, uh, thinking about. I want you to do that to three people this week, to bless them. To bless somebody outside the church who doesn't know Jesus. To bless somebody inside the church and to bless a third person from either one. So three people this week that you will bless, that you will... Put a blessing upon them. Appreciation, thanks, of encouragement, word or a deed to them. This is the word bells. B stands for bless. E stands for eat. To eat with people. And this week, to eat a meal or have a cup of coffee with three people. One outside the church, one inside the church, and one other from either that you get to choose. So to eat, just what's what Jesus did. He had a meal with Zacchaeus. He went to Matthew's party. Put yourself into a situation where you are connecting with people socially. Get in contact with lost people. Speak nicely, encouraging words to them. Eat with them. If you're in a work situation um, where uh, you have uh, community lunches or whatever, don't ostracise yourself from those people. Go and eat lunch with them. Told you before the story of a young girl who she was brethren by background, not that that matters, but she was at a particular work situation. And because uh, what she did is that she would always have lunch by herself and she would open her blooming big Bible like this, and they'd be sitting down there having lunch and she'd be down here being holy. You know how many gospel conversations she had? That many. And all she had to do was close the Bible and move down the other end of the table and sit with people and people will have conversations with her. Does that make sense? And initially, because of the difference there, initially when she moved, they would be asking questions about why did you do that? What's different? And it leads automatically into the opportunity just to sincerely and simply talk about what Jesus is doing in you not a time to Bible bash or Porsche or anything else so bells bless eat we can all do that listen first L listen to the Holy Spirit listen to the Father listen to what God is speaking into you he will say things to you about I want you to talk to that person I want you to do this listen and at least once a week then Take some time to listen to the Father, saying, Lord, is there anything you want to say to me? Is there anything you want me to be doing that I'm not doing? Take time out and do it once a week. Eventually, do it daily, but start once a week. Second L, learn. Learn. Learn all you possibly can about Jesus. And so, again, at least once a week, take one session, half an hour, an hour, read the Gospels, read books about the Lord Jesus study some sort of catechism or something, learn what you can about the person of Jesus. Read books by Tom Wright or Philip Yancey or John Dixon or John Stott or Ken Bailey or all of these great evangelicals have written books about the person of Jesus. Learn more about him. Fall in love with him. And the S, so bless, eat, easy, easy, listen, easy, learn, Easy. And S, Michael Frost says, S stands for scent. Scent. I'll tell you what he means. Because I changed the word from sent to either script or scribble or scribe. What he means by scent is that at the end of every day, grab a journal and write down in it, the gospel conversations you had or the encounters you had with people that had a spiritual nature about it. The benefit of that, it's a record of what you have done, said, or experienced that day with other people. And over the course of time, you will be building up and you'll have a a written record that you are an obedient disciple of Jesus who has sent you into the world. That's why he calls it sent. I called it script or scribe because it's a writing thing. Record daily, where you have had the opportunity to alert somebody about the reality of God in their life. Every day. And there'll be some days, obviously, where you won't be writing anything, because you never had that opportunity. It never happened. And there will be days like that, and there might even be weeks like that. But there'll be times when it does happen. And if you do find yourself in a period where it's going for weeks, and if weeks move into months, and it's long time before that it's time to stop and ask the question isn't it of Lord how come I'm not having these sorts of conversations is there something I need to change is there something I'm not doing because the father is seeking people who are not seeking him and he wants to set up divine appointments and he wants to do it through you But Jesus is the one who offers the gift of living water salvation to all people and nobody is excluded and God certainly wants to use people who love the Lord Jesus and who are prepared to give them an invitation to come and learn more about him. D.L. Moody was a fantastic preacher um, whom God used magnificently. A very simple man, not highly educated and in some ways quite simple. But God gave him a very bold personality and he was a huge man, big man, founder of Moody Bible College. He made a promise to God at one point in his life after he had known Jesus for several years. He made a covenant with God that not one day would pass when he did not share the gospel with somebody or ask them a gospel question before he got into bed at night. And he tells the story on several occasions. This one occasion I'll tell you and close. He got into bed at night, had his pajamas on, got into bed, and he suddenly realized. I never spoke to somebody today. So he got up, got dressed, was raining, he ran outside, and because it was raining and it was night, the streets were nearly empty. But a man was standing over here under a street light with an umbrella, and Moody ran up to him, went up to him, big man at night, and says to him, something like, If you were to die tonight, would God let you into heaven? <laughs> Because you're about to die, and I'm going to say, no, he didn't mean that. It was a question, something like that. And the guy rejected it, said he wasn't interested, and Moody went away. All he, covenant with God, was that he would ask the question. So he felt, I've done my duty, and he went back and slept. What did God do? Three weeks later, this man is pursuing Moody, and he comes to find him. Because from that question, and for the next three weeks, he could not sleep, he could not rest, he could not find peace. Cause he couldn't answer the question that's how God used El Moody am I saying that you should no I'm not saying you do that I'm just saying be who you are bless people set up and having meals with them listen to what the Holy Spirit says learn all you can about Jesus and then keep a record of it and that will both encourage you but also hold yourself accountable that's what Jesus wants to do let's pray Heavenly Father, you sent Jesus into the world to seek and to save those who are lost. And you haven't changed the mission. Now Jesus is sending us. So Lord, I pray that you might help us certainly to be in tune with you, just like Jesus was, to listen to your promptings, to have courage, to have simple, clear conversations, answering questions. Lord, open our eyes to see those around us whom you are pursuing. Help us to bless them, help us to have social contact with them, perhaps through a meal. Help us to listen to your spirit, to learn about Jesus. And Lord, we pray in all things that you would be pleased to use us to extend your kingdom. We pray in your name. Amen.